The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Technology and adjusting values of success and happiness are changing the way we live and work. If you are a homeowner, aspiring homeowner, or business professional, these transitions are affecting your real estate decisions now. Welcome to the future of real estate with Jessica Stoner. Jessica and her guests will key you in to the technological evolution and other factors that will affect all aspects of real estate, your home, and community of the future. Now, here is your host, Jessica Stoner. Welcome. I'm so glad you could join us again today. You are listening to The Future of Real Estate, and I'm your host, Jessica Stoner. You can like me on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, add me on Google+, and you can find all these contacts on my website, realestatefuture.ca. Today, we're talking about co-housing. Co-housing is a newer housing lifestyle. It involves housing developments that are based on purpose-built communities. It's based on the idea that we have lost our traditional village life over the past couple of centuries. As humans, we've evolved over thousands of years to live in a village, and it's hardwired into us. Many people suffer from a lack of connection with a tribe. There's a disconnect that's stressful, and we've evolved to depend on our village for a sense of security and safety, our sense of belonging to a living group. It's essential to the well-being of many of us. Our idea of community and neighborhood today is much more distant than what they were a hundred or a couple hundred years ago. Today's neighborhood or community simply does not provide a strong enough connection to meet many people's unconscious needs. Many people are becoming aware that this is an essential part of our makeup and it's missing in our lives. So co-housing is designed to address this lack of connection. The idea was founded in Denmark and it spread through their neighboring countries and is now quite common in Denmark and Norway and Sweden. It did make its way across the pond. So it we do have quite a number of co-housing communities in the United States and Canada. We are talking today with two very knowledgeable experts on co-housing, both who live in a co-housing community themselves, as well as help others develop new co-housing communities throughout uh, Canada and the United States. We'll be talking with Rains Cohen, who is a co-housing coach and community organizer with Co-Housing California, and Renee Matthew, a co-housing development consulting consultant <laughs> with Co-Housing Development Consulting. We're going to start uh, chatting with Rains Cohen, and you can reach Rains and his organization at his website, www.calcoho.org, C-A-L-C-O-H-O.org. Welcome, Rains. How do you do? I'm doing very well, thank you. And yourself? 
Marvelous. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad you could take the time today during the holidays to come chat with us. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. So, Rains, you are a co-housing coach and community organizer. So, you live in a co-housing community yourself. Berkeley Co-Housing. Excellent. You help other people create co-housing communities. Is that correct? Yeah, we run uh, meetup groups and have around 5,000 people in our network, mostly community seekers and community founders. Okay, so you are well positioned to tell us what co-housing community or what co-housing is. Uh, well, it's a different answer every day, but I, I, you've got some of the gist of it in your introduction. Um, it's not so much, you know, you call it a, a new lifestyle innovation, but it's it's really just a reconnection to that old-fashioned sense of neighborhood Uh We've got a community, you know, a bunch of private homes, but a common space and a relationship to neighbors. I really know my neighbors well, and we sometimes do things together, but we just live our own lives and have make it easier to have opportunities to connect. How do you accomplish that? How is it easier to connect with your neighbors in a co-housing community? Well, I started with, we, we, we build on existing systems, uh, condominium in the U.S., I guess strata titles called Canada, and uh, we design it so that you know, there's you know, much more common space than your usual clubhouse, um, usually thousands of square feet, um, a physical design that puts the community at the center and cars off at the edge, and mm-hmm. a social design where we're all here and, and wanting to be good neighbors. That's our shared value. And so we're paying attention to living well together and uh, studying how to do so and practicing in our, in our meetings, our gatherings, in our daily life, doing, doing meals together a few times a week. Uh, a lot of little things that people build on and start doing more sharing and connecting and support. Right. How long have you lived in a co-housing community? Well, I'm the new kid on the block. My wife, mm-hmm. Betsy, and I have uh, been here just uh, 13, going on 14 years. Uh, but it's been 12 years between resales, and it's been a uh, yeah, very stable community. Of Half the founders are still here after 24 years now. That is really quite statistically surprising because the average home in North America would resell about every five years. So is this... Do you think because people are just very happy with the lifestyle or you just can't find another co-housing community to move into? Or what do you think the reason is for the longevity? Well, there's definitely strong demand. Um, uh, we don't even bother with a waiting list uh, in the place we've gone before I heard about it, I think. But uh, but people, yeah, really do get a lot out of it. I can't imagine living any other way um, in that kind of isolated disconnect you were referring to earlier, if, you know, not knowing neighbors, not knowing who I could borrow a cup of sugar from and whose car I could borrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see that, you know, I don't have kids, but I can borrow a kid when I need one. And the, <laughs> the parents in the community do a lot together and, you know, uh, looking after kids so they aren't, you know, as fully tied up in that. And our, our elders in the community, um, uh, they gain a lot from it, and they, they aren't forced out uh, because we're taking care of each other. On the spectrum of senior living, you might call this interdependent living, if you're beyond independent living. Right. Uh, we have our own lives, our own spaces, but we can do a lot to take care of each other. So you had mentioned that you have um, quite a wide range of ages. So this is what you guys refer to as a intergenerational co-housing community, as opposed to some others that might be more senior-oriented? Uh, yes, most of the 160 in the U.S. so far are intergenerational, but there's certainly fast growth in senior co-housing. Our range is uh, 
let's see, one year old now to 86, going on 87 mm-hmm. years old. You know, I had mentioned to my mother about the show that we're having, and I talked to her about, you know, would this be of interest, being in, you know, this senior-type co-housing, and she said, that sounds terrible. I would far rather be in an intergenerational co-housing community because she thrives on having the youth and the energy around her. Um, Do you find a lot of that? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, I've, you know, it's great. My uh, five-year-old neighbor helps me mow the lawn. <laughs> um, I, and and because we're a community, we get a really good lawnmower to do it with uh, that's shared and we're not paying each for it. And then um, my 87-year-old neighbor uh, who passed away last year uh, did uh, joined us on a road trip uh, to Los Angeles. We taught her to use the GPS. She got to visit her <laughs> daughter in the desert. So there's lots of little ways that I just, you know, we learn from each other, appreciate each other's lives. And Get that exposure that I might not otherwise have in my life to the right. whole spectrum. I, I I see the benefit there. I see the draw. Um, you know, we we get surrounded by the people like us in our own uh, group of friends and that kind of thing. And and you just don't get the the variety of humanity around you. I I, I can see. You know, myself and my partner were childless, so I could see it kind of fun having kids nearby and, you know, for a quick game of pick up soccer or something. And I could see the seniors really enjoying having people around them to keep them engaged. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we certainly um, have, have, you know, people, you know, I've heard from people in their 90s say, I don't want to hang out with all those old people. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, there's benefits, but there's also challenges. I'm, you know, there's kid noise, mm-hmm. uh, kid energy, which sometimes people said, I've done the kid thing, I've done the work thing, yes. now what? And that's why senior co-housing, I think, has some uh, interest from people. Uh, who, who want to have a time for contemplation and room to, you know, to think more about their legacy and their mm-hmm. lives and, and the easefulness uh, for, for some, as well as the, the level of care that's sometimes needed. I, I can see the benefits to both, absolutely. I, I can see the people who are attracted to the one type for, you know, their own reasons. But I, I, I get the senior thing, too. I get that I've done the kids and I don't want to be woken up at three in the morning with the crying child next door. So it's it's understandable. Yep. You, oh, go ahead. Nope. You have worked with um, creating these senior co-housing developments. So how are those different from the intergenerational co-housing developments when you uh, are creating them from scratch? Um, I think there's uh, certainly a a new level of consciousness of like, okay, you know, it's great to have, you know, time off if you're having kids and that level of support, but um, we we can go in together and the... uh, Adapting the Danish national aging curriculum, uh, successful aging, we've started to look at, okay, let's talk about death, health, co-care, how do we take care of each other, and what are the limits? Like, okay, if you break your hip, you know, I'm going to come feed you, but I'm not going to come bathe you, but maybe there's a community service that will. Let's map that out together so we can then design communities that will meet our needs. Like, oh, let's have extra guest rooms for living attendants. Let's make sure our units are physically designed so we're not forced out of them uh, if we lose mobility or something. And yeah, let's just work out the systems. Um, and it's you know, uh, you know, seniors certainly have a lot uh, more time sometimes than people busily working or raising kids. Uh, so uh, as well as life wisdom and uh, experience. So there's a lot they can and do do together. And sometimes you'll find a lot more activity going on in senior co-housing and yeah, more attention, more yeah. attention to the shared features. So you've seen these. 
uh, be designed this way? Have you seen it implemented and working really well that way once you do get it active as a senior community? Do you have people that are sharing vehicles and, and sharing nurses and that kind of thing? It, it, it's still a, a young movement to the U.S. Senior co-housing right. has been here less than a decade. Um, the, the first of them... Uh, Glacier Circle in Davis, the youngest of them was 75, and um, they had people uh, they, they passing away in their first year. Uh, we, we, we found some ways to, to expedite the process, so it's not just people talking about it for 30 years, but we're, st- we're seeing some examples. Uh, some communities, I've, I've shown the scene here in our community, even though it's intergenerational, a number of folks are now older, so we're, we're paying a lot of attention talking about it. Oh, so yeah, it, it makes a difference. We're just going to head on into a break, but when we get back, we're going to continue talking with Rains Cohen, a co-housing coach with uh, Co-Housing California. We'll be back in a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook forward slash Voice America. Hire Jessica Stoner as a speaker at your next event. Jessica has unique knowledge of both real estate and future studies. With extensive industry experience and education paired with an unquenchable excitement for all things future, she's well positioned to share an assortment of topics about the future of real estate with your group. Jessica's passion and knowledge in her speaking engagements is apparent and thought-provoking and of great interest to a wide variety of audiences. Visit Real Estate Future Will you be using a real estate agent soon? It is important to work with up-to-date realtors with advanced knowledge of the ever-changing landscape of real estate. Knowing how things work today is no longer enough. To provide you with the most accurate service and advice, your agent needs to know about tomorrow too. Jessica Stoner stays in contact with current forward-thinking realtors around the world. Visit realestatefuture.ca and Jessica will connect you with a modern professional realtor in your area. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to the future of real estate with Jessica Stoner. To learn more about the topics on today's show, visit www.realestatefuture.ca. Now, back to the future of real estate. And we're back. We're talking with Rains Cohen, a co-housing coach with Co-Housing California. You can reach Rains and his organization at his website, www.calcoho.org, which is C-A-L-C-O-H-O.org. So, Rains, before the break, we were chatting a little bit about um, the lifestyle of co-housing. Can you share with us why people are attracted to this lifestyle and why they get into co-housing? 
Well, I, I think that what you started to mention that the, the top of the show, the isolation of modern life, the realizing, oh, families far away, uh, especially for seniors, you know, friends may be far away or, or losing touch or, uh, or losing them all together. Um, so I think people are saying, okay, how can I get my needs better met? How can we, we make things easier and get a higher quality life? Um, I think, of, you know, from learning about the Danish origins of the concept, it's sort of the first uh, post-feminist form of neighborhood design that says, how can we make it easier to distribute the domestic tasks, be able to come home to a fresh-cooked meal a few times a week, and and maybe have uh, more of both genders participating in child care and other things going on in the community. So that's certainly motivation for a lot of people. Sure, which could seem very attractive. Do you find in practice that it does work that way? Uh, yeah, it really varies. I mean, I, I, formal descriptions of co-housing talk about, you know, organized systems and so on. But it's really, the, the key thing is that we really get to know our neighbors well. And so we go from the transactional to the relational. It's not just about sign up for a service and book the common house. It's like, oh, I see Jane over there. What's going on? I know Jane. I'll, I'll talk to her. Or, oh, I know Bob. And Bob's, you know, um, uh, he shared at our last meeting that he's mad about work. So I'm not going to take it personally when he yells at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have enough context to interpret each other and find that common ground and work on, on the living well together part of it. And, and so it, it's... I've uh, been called the most expensive personal growth workshop you'll ever take because of housing <laughs> costs involved, especially in a high-cost market like the Bay Area here in California. But uh, I think it is the most affordable postgraduate education you get in, in housing development and community development. If you're lucky, you get a place to live out of it. Right. The process of creating community. It, it's, it's powerful. And you, you learn a lot in the process. I bet. I bet you, yeah, I bet everybody is uh, learning quite a bit as they go through the process because the owners create the community themselves. It's not a developer that creates these communities. Is that correct? Yeah, we do partner with developers. And there's ones that instead of just going for, ooh, let's do marble countertops for the greatest prices and profit, it's like, oh, let's talk to the group and let's share. And, oh, you want to do efficient energy? Okay, let's do that. You mm-hmm. know, and. It's, you know, what, what meets our needs best. And, uh, yeah, that kind of, that's what's led to most uh, co-housing now created, uh, certainly here in the U.S. And, um, yeah, and, I, and it's that kind of partnership that I think will lead to it, it growing as, as a movement. Uh, it's been, you know, initially it could take five years to a decade to get going. And uh, with a developer sharing incentives, uh, it can be a much faster process. So it seems that most of these co-housing communities have been very successful. Do you see this as something that will become much more prevalent and something that will be somewhat the norm in the future? I hope so. I, I certainly we've seen it in Denmark where co-housing and it, the interactive process of getting the future residents engaged in designing uh, has influenced all forms of housing, including public housing, um, that... It, you just end up with better results when you're talking to people who are going to live with the consequences and get their input and get their, their skills, collective wisdom, and resource. And you end up with a, with a more successful result. You're mm-hmm. not building and gambling on the market, but instead, you know, getting the, the future owners have skin in the game. There's also, I've seen a lot of innovations now in getting beyond our initial homeowner investment model into there's now some rental co-housing, mm-hmm. uh, permanently affordable and non profit owned and, and all other kinds of partnerships uh, because we know homeownership is, is inaccessible to many people uh, right. in many markets. So we need to get beyond that. And you 
find that the rental, I, I'm guessing there's not too many of them out there yet, but you're finding the model is working so far? It, it, it's, it's, it's still young and it, it mm-hmm. just takes a, a different approaches to get over that whole landlord-tenant relationship. My, my friend, uh, trainer, facilitator, Dan Leaf Christian, calls a structural conflict. Uh, uh, if we can be find some way that all the players can be together as peers and making decisions together, you get better results. We've even seen this in uh, homeless encampments, you know, tiny mm-hmm. home villages yeah. uh, that are using co-housing type of models for shared governance and right. uh, taking care of each other. Well, I could see it being a much superior landlord-tenant uh, relationship when you have a tenant who is invested in that community and in the people there. Um, you know you're going to have a better tenant. This is not just a house they're renting. This is their home. So I could see uh, a lot of investors finding this quite valuable. Yeah, and the, the trick is to get the place of confidence where you've got good systems and both good contracts and good relationships and agreements so you know that somebody who has a tenth of what you have invested in the house isn't going to suddenly do something to make it more expensive or uh, st- stand in your way, uh, say, no, you can't sell it. Uh, it's like, well, I've got, <laughs> I need the money back out. Yeah, you, we, we, we need a new alternative economics to support being together on this way. That is an excellent point. So I can actually see this having some growing pains, but the idea in theory um, definitely seems to be a way that um, could be beneficial in the long run once all the kinks are worked out. Yeah, it's a learning laboratory, and there's ways to constrain the risk to make you know, make it manageable to help people see that okay, uh, we've got a good track record, uh, you know, lower foreclosures, better, better appreciation, and just more in general. Uh, yeah, people sticking with it for whatever reasons. Right. Do you? find that the municipalities are welcoming of them or do they have some concerns in regards to them do you have any different zoning requirements how does that work with when you're constructing them from scratch uh we've we has succeeded in part in the u.s because it's tried to fit the model it's just another condominium just another plan development uh urban planners love it it matches a lot of what they're taught in school uh politically it can be hard though if you're coming in you know we have to put on our hat of you know we are the evil developer coming in to mm-hmm. change things and so hopefully we can find ways to instead engage and connect and get to know the future neighbors and uh, be in relationships so they appreciate it. it's not just some outside entity coming in to develop uh, something without consulting and take money away. But here, we're, we're looking to be your future neighbors. We want to be in relationship, and let's get your input, and let's, you know, get changes where needed, especially just to, like, you know, often the, the classic plan that calls for, you know, house, driveway, lawn, house, driveway, lawn, let's spread them out. Right. And while we, while we like to instead, can we cluster the parking over here so that our houses can be closer together so we can talk to each other from our porches? And we fit into some models like a new urbanism, but uh, that often calls for, you know, very large-scale development, you know, hundreds or thousands of homes. But co-housing works best in the scale of, you know, a few dozen homes. Uh, where we really can know each other and and work well together. So have you found the municipalities, once they understand what you're trying to do, are open to adjusting their requirements so that you can build things even if they don't necessarily fit into the land use bylaws? 
Uh, it, it, there, there is sometimes interest, but that becomes a political consideration. Uh, we're uh, one of our member communities, uh, Fair Oaks Eco Housing near Sacramento, California's capital, had pursued two other towns before, and both of them they needed changes in the zoning, and they found after spending a, a lot of money, doing a lot of work, doing a lot of, putting the group together over several years, that politically uh, they couldn't. Uh, couldn't get the change needed, uh, so they now have a new site where they did not need to get an actual zoning change, just some okay. simple approvals, and that uh, it's gone a lot more smoothly, and they're preparing to build in the coming year. Right. Well, it's good to know. I mean, it seems to be pretty... Um, uh, beneficial things we're doing you're obviously not doing it um, for profit you're doing it for community so hopefully the municipalities are a little more open to it uh, uh, yeah although it's interesting you know we have to have a business plan that shows there's profit margin and room for the banks to lend to us they like mm. to make sure that they're not first in line if anything goes wrong they like to um, make sure that you know you've got money to burn before you get to not paying their loan or not paying them off. Wow. So it, it helps It helps them that we have the future residents invested in the project so we have skin in the game and right. they have an interest in making it all work and, uh, and making it come in on time and on budget. Uh, but we also do then you know, now say can, can, can we make it attractive for outside investors and I'm personally looking at ways of moving my retirement money into a self-directed IRA account so okay. that I can invest in other communities. Um, and uh, and help make more projects happen. That's interesting. If you can send me some information on that, I'll put it on the blog so people can look it up because that's uh, that's you know an interesting aspect to this movement. Oh yeah, it, it's very much you know uh, the members themselves investing and then uh, friends and family beyond that uh, to, to 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 match what a commercial developer would bring to the table to just right. to pay for all the construction and everything else. That's yeah. That's that's an interesting uh, sort of um, way to move things forward, as opposed yeah. to only depending on the people who have the capacity now. Maybe everybody doesn't, and this will sort of allow more communities to be developed, regardless. Definitely, we're learning from the slow money movement, which is supporting you know the investment in slow food and farms and and restaurants and so on. It's like okay, how about farm worker housing? Can we do this for co housing as well? Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, Rains, thank you so much for all of your time today and your information. As I said, send that information over. I'll put it on the blog. For anybody out there listening who wants to learn a little more about this, you can visit my website at realestatefuture.ca. There'll be more information on our guest and uh, this topic today. And you can also learn more about Rains' organization at calcoho.org, C-A-L-C-O-H-O.org. Rains, thanks for your time today. Thank you. And remember, you don't have to love all your neighbors, just like enough of them to make it work. (laughs) That's an excellent point. All right, we're going to head on into a break. When we get back, we're going to be talking with Rone Matthew, a co-housing development consulting out of British Columbia in Canada. We'll be back in a moment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
Hire Jessica Stoner as a speaker at your next event. Jessica has unique knowledge of both real estate and future studies. With extensive industry experience and education paired with an unquenchable excitement for all things future, she's well positioned to share an assortment of topics about the future of real estate with your group. Jessica's passion and knowledge in her speaking engagements is apparent and thought-provoking and of great interest to a wide variety of audiences. Visit realestatefuture.ca. Will you be using a real estate agent soon? It is important to work with up-to-date realtors with advanced knowledge of the ever-changing landscape of real estate. Knowing how things work today is no longer enough. To provide you with the most accurate service and advice, your agent needs to know about tomorrow too. Jessica Stoner stays in contact with current forward-thinking realtors around the world. Visit realestatefuture.ca and Jessica will connect you with a modern professional realtor in your area. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to the future of real estate with Jessica Stoner. To learn more about the topics on today's show, visit www.realestatefuture.ca. Now, back to the future of real estate. We're back, and we're talking today about co-housing. So, we have Rone Matthew with us today, a co-housing development consulting, a consultant sorry, out of British Columbia in Canada. Rone has a company called Co-Housing Development Consulting, and you can reach them at their website, cohousingconsulting.ca, or by phone at 604-570-0742. Rone, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's nice to, nice to have an opportunity to talk about co-housing. Oh, wonderful. Well, we have so much more to learn about it, so uh, hopefully you can shed some light on that. I, I would enjoy that. <laughs> so you have experience with many co-housing developments and helping them start. Who buys into a co-housing development? The type of people who are uh, typical um, that buy into co-housing are people who are not satisfied with what the conventional market can provide for them. Um, either from a perspective of the conventional market is not supplying environmentally sustainable options. That's one reason why people get into co-housing is because they want to live a more sustainable uh, green lifestyle. Or that um, the the conventional market is not providing another big aspect is the social connection that people are interested in in having. Um, certainly in Vancouver where I live, 
isolation even in um, high-rise buildings where people are very uh, living in a very compact environment. People feel isolated. They don't feel that they can connect with their neighbors. They don't have any meaningful relationships in the uh, environment that they live in. And people who are wanting to be part of a co-housing community are looking for something that is going to give them uh, more opportunity for connection with their neighbors. Not that they're going to be at their neighbors' homes every day, but that they know them enough that they can greet them in the uh, the elevator and um, in the passageways and know what's going on uh, in their lives enough to be able to have a conversation with them. Right. So... It's, uh, it's, it's those two factors, really, connection with neighbors and more environmentally sustainable lifestyle that are the big ones. So you live in an inner, or not inner city, but in a, in a uh, co-housing community that's in the city, correct? Well, and, it, and, and I would say that it is an inner city. Inner city, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we live in a neighborhood that is uh, considered 98% walkable. So <laughs> that's pretty that's, inner city. That's pretty inner city. <laughs> pretty inner city, that's right. Um, and so it's a little noisy. You know, we've got mm-hmm. uh, a lot of um, traffic and, and that sort of thing in our neighborhood. But one of the things about it is that we are a community within a community. Mm-hmm. So... In a walkable neighborhood, there ends up being an opportunity to connect with the uh, the local, you know, merchants and the other mm-hmm. uh, people that live in the community. In addition to us connecting with each other in our own community, so it has a larger, more uh, what we would say, complete community aspect. Do you find it works the same when you're in the city as it would elsewhere? Do you still have common meals? Is there still that idea of being able to, you know, share more so you don't have to quite buy as much individually? There's definitely different qualities that different co-housing communities have. Uh, People that choose to live in co-housing communities in an urban center like mine are, are to have a particular lifestyle, and the co-housing community in many ways is responsive to that. Mm-hmm. In my experience, the co-housing communities that are located in rural areas tend to have a different quality to them, a different characteristic. Very often, they do actually have more community meals um, together just because the lifestyle is a little slower. Um, there's not as much opportunity to connect in the larger community. Mm-hmm. So when someone is looking for a co-housing community, that would be something that they would want to investigate is what is the quality of the energy? What are the characteristics of the people living in here? And because the community is so much a reflection of it's developed by the uh, residents and so it's a reflection of their interests and needs and that continues to carry on in the life of the community where there's these individual characteristics and every community in my experience has its own unique quality and characteristic. Can you give us some examples of different types of co-housing communities you've seen and how they differ from each other? 
Well, so where I live right now is um, we're on about uh, half an acre of land. We have 22 units, and we're a combination of apartments and townhouse-style units with an inner courtyard. And we have not very much um, area for green space. We have a shared inner courtyard, which is where Mm -hmm. adults and children mix and hang out and barbecue and do things together. Uh, Roberts Creek Co-Housing on the uh, Sunshine Coast is a community of single-family individual houses on their own little lots. Mm -hmm. So they're on 20 acres of land. Um, They've clustered onto about seven acres, uh, so they haven't used the whole property, and they've left a lot of it in its natural condition. A conventional development in that neighborhood probably would have used the whole property and made the lots a lot bigger. So they're on small lots. And so their culture is much more um, individual. Because they live in single-family houses, they're not, let's say, forced to connect with each other quite as much as we are in our uh, neighborhood where we're sharing, you know, half an acre uh, for, for 22 households. So... If someone was wanting to have uh, um, a lot less connection with their neighbors, then perhaps a community like the one in Roberts Creek might be more supportive of them because there's a lot more opportunity for, you know, your own gardens and, um, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, privacy is a really, really important aspect to many people's lives. And I think some people may um, be a little concerned with the idea. They like it in theory, but then they thought they, th- they may think in practicality, will I have any privacy? How yeah, do you find that works? You know, that is something that when I, uh, I'm, you know, classify myself as an extreme introvert. I'm a very introverted person. I'm not particularly social. Um, I enjoy connection with others, but in quite a limited way. I don't spend a lot of time with my neighbors. Um, And I was very concerned when I moved into co-housing. I've been living here now for 15 years. Um, When I first moved in, I was very concerned that I would not get my privacy needs met. I was actually very scared about that. Right. Um, but it has not, my experience has been, I can have as much privacy as I want, and that is very typical of all co-housing communities, even ones where we're living in very contact, compact environment, uh, like I am at Cranberry Commons. Um, we can have as much privacy as want as we want, but the difference between us and conventional neighborhoods is we can also have as much community as we want. So we can step out into this environment where there is an opportunity for connection with neighbors if we want it. So that's the big key. It's an if we want it. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the key because, and I think for introverts, this might be a really good option when you have the extroverts they can go out and be social anytime however they want Um, it's just natural for them but it's maybe the introverts that are the ones that suffer the most from this lack of connection because they're 
they're not the ones that are going to go out and initiate the contact. And maybe this works really well for, for you know, this large portion of our population. I, I would say that it does. And in fact, you know, I have uh, anecdotal information that uh, there's a large majority actually of introverts that live in co-housing mm-hmm. for that very reason, because it's easy for them to connect in a co-housing community. What about the husbands and wives where one thinks co-housing is fantastic and the other one has serious concerns about it? Well, that's definitely challenging. Um, I see that as a co-housing development consultant where there's one member uh, very often who's really attracted to this and the other, I think, is who's not attractive at all. And I think one of the challenges that they face is that the one that's not attractive really doesn't believe that they're going to have the privacy that they need. Right. And so if they can't uh, find a way to um, convince themselves of that, then quite often those households don't end up getting involved because the strong um, uh, fear <laughs> is the thing that drives them, uh, drives the household away, which is sad because what a co-housing community could provide for, particularly for a household like that, for mm-hmm. the person who is really craving, you know, the kind of connection that co-housing provides, they can go out in the community, make that connection, um, and the person who really doesn't need that connection can stay home, you know? They don't have right. to connect with the rest That's- of the community. They can do their own thing. I was wondering if once they got into it, maybe against their will, um, do they find out that it does work for them, like even if they had concerns in the beginning? Well, kind of like actually, you. Yes, there are examples of that. There's uh, one um, couple that I know of where, you know, he was the one that really wanted to be in co-housing and she was just not interested in it at all. And right. he finally said to her, you know, I'm not going to push you. This is something that I really want to have. But if yeah. you really can't see yourself going into this, then, you know, we will not, I won't push you. And so after that, it opened up space for her and she said, okay, I'll join. And they have now been living in co-housing, I think, for about 20 years. And wow. she has become a co-housing facilitator and huh. Um, enthusiast because after having lived in co-housing, she realized that the kinds of fears that she had about uh, lack of privacy and all those things were just not true. They just and so she's been a real advocate now. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and so that's oh, you know neat. I think there are probably other examples, but that's the the one that really comes to mind. Huh. Ronnie, that's that's really fun information. We're going to head into a break. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit about co-housing and seniors and how this is developing lately. Great. So we're just going to head into a break and we'll be back in a moment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
hire Jessica Stoner as a speaker at your next event. Jessica has unique knowledge of both real estate and future studies. With extensive industry experience and education paired with an unquenchable excitement for all things future, she's well positioned to share an assortment of topics about the future of real estate with your group. Jessica's passion and knowledge in her speaking engagements is apparent and thought-provoking and of great interest to a wide variety of audiences. Visit realestatefuture.ca. Will you be using a real estate agent soon? It is important to work with up-to-date realtors with advanced knowledge of the ever-changing landscape of real estate. Knowing how things work today is no longer enough. To provide you with the most accurate service and advice, your agent needs to know about tomorrow too. Jessica Stoner stays in contact with current forward-thinking realtors around the world. Visit realestatefuture.ca and Jessica will connect you with a modern professional realtor in your area. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to The Future of Real Estate with Jessica Stoner. To learn more about the topics on today's show, visit www.realestatefuture.ca. Now, back to the future of real estate. We're back talking with Ronnie Matthew, a co-housing development consultant. Her company is Co-Housing Development Consulting, and you can reach them at their website, cohousingconsulting.ca, or on their direct line, 604-570-0742. Ronnie Before the break, we were just about to explore co-housing and how it would work for seniors. What has been your experience with that? Well, you know, I have have now facilitated the development of two senior co-housing communities in Canada, one in Saskatoon called Wolf Willow Co-Housing and one in Souk. Um, on Vancouver Island called uh, Harborside Co-Housing, and I'm now right. just about to facilitate another one um, in the Souk area called Westwind uh, Harbor Co-Housing. When I first got involved with the group in Saskatoon, which was the first senior co-housing project that I was involved in, I asked them, you know, well, why do you want to do senior co-housing? You know, uh, intergenerational communities are, you know, support seniors and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. no, they wanted to focus on the needs of elders and aging in place. And I just thought, oh, man, this is not going to be uh, as interesting as a senior community, I don't think. I, but I was willing to go along with it and you know I didn't need um, they needed my skills and (laughs) and I was interested in working with them and as I worked with them I worked with them for a couple of years and helped them to find land and purchase that and develop their community and they eventually moved in uh, trying to remember what year that was it was a few years ago now 
Okay. In the process, though, of working with them, I had the best time. They were the most enjoyable group that I had worked with up until that time hmm. in terms of we had the best parties, the most fun, the most laughter. Uh, we just, it was, it was fun. It was really a lot of fun. Right. I started thinking about, okay, there's a difference here. And the difference is when people come and are in a similar life stage with similar values um, and ideals, as opposed to intergenerational, you, you tend to have a broader spectrum of needs in that, right? Right. So in the senior, uh, people are at a stage in their life where they're you know, past the rearing children and you know those kinds of things, and they're focused on other things. And I just found it was really, really enjoyable, and it completely changed my perspective. You know, I'm close to 60, <laughs> and I live in an intergenerational community, and I enjoy, you know, the, the, the variety of ages here. Uh, there's no question about that. And I have no problem seeing myself moving into a community. And in fact, I'm thinking seriously I might do that uh, Mm -hmm. one of these days. It's just that I love where I am so much. Um, For the opportunity to be in connection with a group of people that are at a similar stage of life, Mm -hmm. there is a huge value in that. It's not a bunch of gray-haired people (laughs) hanging around with nothing to say to each other. That is actually not my experience. Co-housing people tend to be um, really connected with the larger community, very involved in things. Um, well, they have the time to do it. Well, and they, they have also, more time to put into the co-housing um, community and creating it and also the community at large. Uh, for sure. And in my experience, the type of people that choose to be in co-housing uh, are people very often that have lots of skills and capacities that they're willing to mm-hmm. share. Actually, probably our you know broad um, society has a lot of skills and capacities, but very often those don't get shared except in a workplace or in your family. Whereas right. in co-housing, there's an opportunity to share ourselves in a way. People are interested in uh, you know what research you did when you were. Uh, you know, in your younger years, and and there's an opportunity to share that uh, musical. Most co-housing communities have um, musical events on a regular basis. Uh, people's art. There's one co-housing community. Um, it's an intergenerational community, but they have a lot of artists in the community, and they rotate and have art exhibits in their common house on a regular basis, where they invite the public as well as the community to share in that. So people have an opportunity to share their skills and capacities with their neighbors in a way that is, is not available in conventional neighborhoods. That's a really good point. If you think of a traditional condo association, you may have shared facilities, but you're not, I'm not seeing that anyway. I'm not seeing, you know, um, nights where they're sharing music or art or anything like that. That's a great idea. Well, it's certainly something that is possible, and it may be something. I know there's uh, people, that, um, part of the senior co-housing um, uh, society, there's a society, senior co-housing, they're, they're looking at what they call retrofit co-housing, where they're trying to look at conventional strata developments and seeing if mm-hmm. there's a way to support people to have more connection 
in was, those existing communities rather than having to create something I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard of that, but what a great idea. It is, and it, it ends up being quite often uh, strata developments have some common space, but yeah. it just doesn't get used very much, and people don't think to go there to connect with each other so much. They right. use it maybe for private family events and that. Part of it is creating a culture where people are not afraid to connect with each other. I think there's a lot of fear in our current uh, world environment, culture, I would say, um, that that if I connect with my neighbor, then my neighbor is going to be at my door every day, every minute, you know, wanting tea and coffee and connection. Like, uh, and that is just, that's, that's just not true. And if so it, it is true, then we need to be able to say, you know, no, not today. So it just gives you permission to connect because everybody realizes that this is allowed now. That's right. And it gives you permission to not connect, too. Yes. And that's Which a is really just important, important thing. Yeah. Some yeah, communities actually have little... Um, uh, little things that they do to say, you know, there's one community that I know of that puts their blinds, closes their blinds when they Hmm. are not wanting to connect. Um, Or there might be other signs that that you have. So, and whereas in our community... I was just going to say, what a subtle and polite way to communicate. That's great. Yeah, and if that's the sort of thing that that supports people to be able to have the privacy that they need, then because people talk to each other, there's ways to put those kinds of systems in place. And right. It's really about setting up a system to support us to get our, our needs met, you know? Not to force us to do things that we don't want to do, but to actually support us to have a better and a higher quality of life. Yeah, I think this is um, just really at the precipice of, of what I think we're going to see in the future. I think that this need, whether we like to admit it or not, is very real. And I think that we're going to see this. I, I like what you're talking about, where we're talking about maybe uh, retrofitting some condominium, existing condominiums into, you know, encompassing some of these co-housing feature um, I, I think we're on. I think we're on to something. What do you think? Yeah, it, I I agree, and it would be a very simple thing if there was even a core group of people that were interested in doing that. In my experience, a community can be created by a, a small group. In in our community here, we have skills building uh, events at times where we learn more about communication skills. And I always say, you know, everybody doesn't have to attend. As long as there is a small core group of people that are willing to do that, it's like dropping the pebble in the pond. The uh, It will impact the larger collective by mm-hmm. what it is that the smaller group does regardless. And so there's many ways. You know, one of the things that I see co-housing as being one of those small pebbles in the pond that could potentially support a larger collective attitude on our planet. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Renee, that's all the time we have for today. Okay. But thank you so much for your time and all of your sharing your expertise. This has been really interesting and informative. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, and I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today. 
Oh, I'm so glad. For more information on today's show and the guest on today's show, visit realestatefuture.ca and join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, where next week we'll be discussing urban farming. We have some fascinating guests on the show who will, uh, who have urban farms, one in New York City, and another who teaches permaculture and people to uh, create their own urban gardens. I look forward to connecting with you then. We hope you've enjoyed and have been inspired from today's edition of The Future of Real Estate. Be sure to join Jessica Stoner again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week. 